Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. It's time for school. Rock school. With your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Yes, you tell Jake that I got the deluxe set the day that it came out, and I heard most of the album the night before at an advanced listening party. So eat it, Jake. Um, But (laughs) Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show here on the Rock School Radio Network, 21 radio stations strong and the PRX Network. My name is Joe Burns. I'm sorry Tammy is not with us this week because I'm going to be talking to Megan Volpert. All right, who's Megan Volpert? She wrote a book titled Straight Into Darkness, One Tom Petty Redemption Song. You may not know it, but October 20th, is the birthday of Tom Petty. So it should be celebrated. We lost him not too long ago, and Megan has written this book. You may say to yourself, how can one song cover an entire book? Once you get into it, you'll see what she's talking about. She contacted me over the summer and said, I have this book. Are you at all interested in having a copy and talking to me about it on the radio show? And I said, of course I am. So for the next hour, we're going to talk to Megan Volpert about her book. Once again, Straight Into Darkness, One Tom Petty Redemption Song. Now, this is a radio show. This is a podcast. So not All that we spoke about has made it into the show. If you'd like to hear the raw, uncut interview, travel to southeastern.edu slash rockschool, and you'll find it right there. So, for an hour today, Megan Volpert talking about one Tom Petty song, Straight Into Darkness. Here on Rock School. On the phone with me right now is Megan Volper, author of Straight Into Darkness, One Tom Petty Redemption Song. And and Megan, thanks for speaking with us. I really appreciate it. Happy to. Okay. Hey, uh, it's nice that you were able to set aside some time in your your October, late October, because October 20th, am I right about that? Is that Tom Petty's birthday? Yep, definitely. Yep. Now, this book, uh, I want to tell people who are, are going to read it, it really is an introspective piece. And, you know, usually in books, introductions are sort of quick and you can almost go right past them. However, yours sort of set a mood for the entire book. If you don't mind, I'm going to quote it here. Uh, it yeah. says, No way around it. I once was carrying around so much physical chronic pain that I got near to jumping off a train platform, but I didn't because of Tom Petty's Straight Into Darkness. This little book examines why. It, it, I mean, that's that's heart-wrenching. You're, you're going to have to expand on that for me. Yeah. Oh, it took me so long to get it boiled down to one sentence, but everybody wants me to crack it open and bring it up. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, man. I have ulcerative colitis. It's a real painful disease that's not going to kill me, but it's certainly not going to make me any stronger. Mm. Um, And so, you know, I was uh, having a super bad flare, and we just couldn't get it under control, and it was lasting weeks and weeks and months, and I was emaciated, malnourished. It was just terrible. I was in constant physical pain. You know, the digestive system has its own... Uh, like direct bat phone to the brain. <laughs> it's got its own nerves that operate in a totally different way from like if somebody pinches you or if you get a burn on your skin. It doesn't feel anything like that. Pain in your digestive tract is, is like a totally alien thing. And it just was blinding. And if you suffer that for so long, anybody with chronic pain can tell you, if you suffer that for so long, you go a little mind blind. You, you get a little irrational. And one day I was getting ready to go to work like a dumb I should have been in the hospital many, many moons before this. But, you know, I'm standing there waiting on my train, and I just thought, let me just fall over here right now and be done because I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. Um, but right at that second, you know, I got my iPod on. I'm, I'm jamming. Right at that second, that's the song that randomly came through on the shuffle. And I just thought, damn, that's true. Okay, one more day, one more minute. find that interesting because of all Tom Petty songs, that's that's kind of leaning American girls stop dragging my heart around. It's it's not, you know, an uplifting, you know, refugee type song. You It really hit you with a bad one. Do you think it's just that you were in a down mood, he was in a down mood, and together you could make it? Or how did it touch you so hard that you decided to write a book about it? <laughs> well, Okay, so Petty was real keen on delivering lessons in his bridge verses. And, you know, a lot of people say that that whole album is pretty depressing, and that might be true, and even Petty, to a limited extent, I think would agree with that. But the middle of that song, I mean, he just, it's it's life-affirming. He says, I don't believe the good times are over. I don't believe the thrill is all gone, and real love can save us, that the strong will carry on. And I just thought, all right, then I'm going to be strong. I can do it. And you and you're still here, so I think it's wonderful that it had that effect on you. Where yeah, it's lasting. Where did the song hit in terms of? Because I, I I tried while I was reading the book to put together a timeline of Petty's death against the research and listening, and you saw him live at Red Rocks on his last tour. Not that he knew it would be his last yeah. tour. Where yeah. where did it occur in terms of his uh, his passing? Man, real late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the book was the book was about ninety percent written. Um, I had all but you know some of the kinks worked out of it, pretty much. 
Um, and so nothing about the message or the arguments of the book, none of that got changed at all. You know, the book was under contract, was almost entirely written before he passed. And then I, I had always planned to include my trek on the 40th anniversary tour. Um, the only thing that got added really was the epilogue. The rest of it is in present tense, as if Petty is still with us. Let's talk about the song, You Got Lucky. You hit that pretty hard. And, uh, you know, I always took it as a, you know, a breakup song. But you got lucky when you saw me. But you take it even farther. You say it's it's simply his most misunderstood tune. Lay that one out for me. Oh, well, he thought it was his most misunderstood tune. I mean, that's a direct quote there. Um, people think that all of the songs that he sang, not fans, but people, general people who listen to the radio and don't care to dig into it that much, think that the songs that he's singing are from his own perspective. And they don't necessarily give Petty the credit of developing characters and personas. He does some things with his voice that can kind of tip you off. Like he gets real nasal in some places, like The Last DJ is an example of that, or um, some, some parts of the Southern Accents album, where he's imitating particular types of hillbilly characters or greedy corporate characters. And it's not Petty singing his own perspective, but it's him singing a character that he invented. And You Got Lucky is an example of a, a guy that he created to show this sort of chauvinistic, macho, bullshit type of perspective it wasn't him but a lot of people mistook it for him and so they thought that it was more egotistical than they expected from him and that i mean he was disappointed by people not getting it hmm i i'm one of those people apparently i didn't get it i took it as a again i told you i always took him as a pop artist who understood look i i gotta write a pop song to get it out there so people can hear it but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna write in dumb lyrics, which which leads me to a, the, another section of the book, where you and I think you mentioned it in an earlier answer while we were talking that he puts his lessons in the final verse or bridge. And I think you mentioned bridge. What? Yeah. What's the point of that? Is it just a petty thing, or does it have some kind of oomph? No. Oh, you're tapping. You're tapping the public high school English teacher in me too by asking this question. Ah. That's honestly, this is a pat answer, but it's straight out of Shakespeare. In poetry, we call it like the volta or the turn of the poem, where you know the final stanza or the second to last stanza, where everything, the lesson of the poem, suddenly becomes clear. And even though he never cared much for school, he picked up on that somewhere along the way. I don't know where he got the idea that the bridge verse was where it belonged. Maybe just in terms of the composition of the music, because there's usually kind of a swelling at the bridge. There's more of an emotive quality at the bridge a lot of the time. Maybe he thought that's where it should belong, that the words should also hit the hardest at that point. I mean, that would be my best guess. But he Mm -hmm. did tend to put them three quarters of the way through in the bridge it could just be it felt right because you know as i've said on the show before academics can make anything bulletproof with big long words and such it could be that he was just that much of a musician and poet obviously when you write lyrics you're a poet i believe 
that he just understood yeah. right here is where you throw the punch. It could just be that. Now, yeah, let's... I mean, he definitely had an instinct and he didn't like to overmuch discuss his process or explain his, I mean, to a certain extent, he would find this entire book absurd. You know, had he been alive at the time when it came out, I fully would have expected him to kind of make fun of it because he didn't like his songs explained. He kind of left them up to the individual person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, he didn't he didn't like to theorize on how it was or why it was the way it was it just was yeah well I guess it's that same thing I don't want to see the sausage made I know the audience yeah. doesn't want to see the sausage made but they love it in a gumbo so it's yeah. not something you talk about Okay, look, right. I'm, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get uh, personal here because I'm a guitarist. It's my mm-hmm. main instrument. I play about seven instruments, but it's my main instrument. And I have been told so many times by somebody at the end of a concert or somebody I know, you know, well, I, you know what? I wanted to take up the guitar. I wanted to try it. I wanted to play it. Blah blah blah. I I was so happy when I read the chapter where you decided to dig the song even further by taking up the guitar simply to learn the chordal progression and what's wonderful about it is you wrote it in music theory tablature you're <laughs> you're gonna have to give me the nickel tour of that as well tell me about learning the instrument and where i mean you wrote higher than somebody who just learned ea and d and b minor bridge Tell me about that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that because that was the part that I definitely, you know, I'm trained as a philosopher. I'm trained as an analyst of poetry. I'm trained as a writer, but I am not trained as a musician. And I don't know the first diddly do about music composition. So if <laughs> it came out sounding good to someone who does know, then I'm, I'm appreciative of that. Definitely. I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I tried to definitely write it in a way that other lay people could understand if they've never picked up a guitar or a stringed instrument. Um, I just figured it out. I mean, maybe that sounds dumb to say. I I uh, I, I tried to play the proper guitar, but I just I wasn't feeling it. Something about what my hands were doing didn't make any sense. So I thought, you know, my understanding of of slide guitar is that it's just bar chords, and I understood that that meant you know you just put one finger down all the way across the strings. I think I can manage that, no problem. <laughs> You know, and so I, I started to work on like I started to work on like all right, well, where are these notes? And then I just looked up what are the notes in this song, and then I put them together, and then I just you know woodshedded like a mother in my garage, and that's how we got it done. But the more I practiced it, the more I found like you know your hand does things, little shapes, little movements, and I just started thinking about you know what those were, what they meant. And over and over again, I mean, it's not true of every instrument. Every instrument works in a different way, and every guitarist has their own thing, definitely. But the way I was playing it, and there are some little diagrams in the book of this, it makes the sign of a cross. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, you know, I was raised Jewish, and I'm a Buddhist now, so that's not a gesture that I was really accustomed to. But over and over again, with my right hand on the on the neck of the guitar, I kept making a little cross, and I just thought, there's something, you know, because this song is so prayerful to me, you know, I just, 
it really it really held tight <laughs> when I started playing it, and I figured that out. It really really was the glue that stuck it to me. I think right, and and you're you're speaking in the lingo because there's so many people that say, well, the one five four chord progression is an L, and then there's the circle, yeah. and then there's the X. It, you're 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 talking in that. In that, and and I, I I just have to compliment you. So many people would say, "Oh, my fingers are starting to hurt," and quit. But you didn't. <laughs> you pounded through it, and and for that alone, you know, kudos to you. We need to take our first break here on Rock School. Give our affiliates the ability to play their commercials. But we'll be back in just a moment to continue talking with Megan Volpert about her book, Straight into Darkness. One Tom Petty redemption song here on Rock School. Hey, Rock School listener, you hear this little thing going on right now, this this music bed that goes on for a minute, we do it twice during a show? This is where a sponsor should be. This is where an underwriter should be. If you or some business you know might want to be that sponsor or underwriter of the Rock School radio show, please have that person give us a call, 985-549-2330. Once again, 985-549-2330. You can sponsor the radio show, you can sponsor the podcast, you can sponsor both. There's other ways of doing it. So call that number, 985-549-2330, and talk with Rachel. Or you can talk to Todd if you really want to talk to Todd for some reason. But Rachel's really who you want to speak to. 509-2330. Thanks. Now look, the whole book, not the whole book, that's that's overstating it, but a large part of the book is dedicated to the song Straight Into Darkness. Do me a favor. I've listened to it a couple times, and to be honest with you, I think I had heard it maybe once beforehand because it's a it's a B-side track on a lesser album of his. Yeah. Give me the nickel tour of the song. What's it about? What does it say? What What was the reason sure. for it? Sure. Um, so the first verse talks about a kind of failed love affair, alludes to a girl that he loved, and the love affair is no more. The second verse uh, talks about the band and in the early days in 76, 77, when he flew out to London, when they were on the brink of a big success, but they didn't know how big a success. They didn't really know what awaited them on their first hop across the pond. Um, So in both cases, they're going straight into darkness. The love affair just fades away. So that straight into darkness is sort sort of a negative vibe. But then flying out to London, that type of darkness is pretty exciting to go straight into. Um, but there's a there's a radical uncertainty going on in either case. He doesn't know what to make of his interpersonals. He doesn't know what to make of his professional scene. And so it's a song that just grapples with uncertainty. And then we come to the bridge where he explains that, you know, whatever may be, he doesn't believe that the thrills are all gone. He It's a, it's a profession of faith profession of faith that there are still positive outcomes and positive moments available to us even as we go straight into darkness that to go straight into the darkness is actually kind of an act of bravery even if it's also nuts well what's what's the line rage rage against the dying of the lights i know that's about death but it it equivocates don't you think 
Yeah, I mean, he definitely appreciated the multiple meanings that were possible in a given line, and it shifts from a negative vibe to a positive vibe to just a general kind of affirmation of it's uncertain, but we gotta we gotta hallelujah anyway, you know, we gotta right. kind of revolt anyway. Well, what's the what's the Tina Fey quote? You can't be the kid standing at the top of the water slide. Sometime you gotta go down the chute. You yeah, have, you have to make that leap. something else that I kind of shook my head at. I knew the story of Tom Petty pulling out, uh, it was either a straight blade or a switchblade, I don't remember, while talking to mm -hmm. people in the music industry. You used that story to sort of pivot to the fact that when you saw Petty concerts, if I have this correct, you said it always seemed to bring violence to you. So you're going to have yeah. to render that out for me. Yeah, so I don't. I go to a lot of shows, not just Tom Petty shows. I go to all kind of shows. They're not all filled with like grizzled hippie dudes. You know what I mean? I see a lot of different types of bands with a lot of different types of audiences, and somehow, almost every Petty show that I've been to, there's some weird moment where there just just violence comes at me. I'm, I'm not a fighting person by nature. I'm not a confrontational person by nature. I keep to myself. I'm a peaceable human. And, but so many times, just weird little digs have come at me, and I, I started to get weirded out by it. Like, once or twice, all right, that's just, that's just chance and nature some, some kind of way. But it kept happening. And so I thought, well, let me get this down on paper because what gives? You know, and then I started kind of researching Petty's own experience of violence at his shows, and there was a lot there really to go on, like unusual stage accidents, a couple of times that he tried to crowd surf and he got real freaked out by it. Um, sometimes, you know, the, the Winterland incident where the audience rushed the stage. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and just, he's had a number of, you know, that, and then per, uh, not even in concert, but like that attempted arson on his house in the late 80s. He's had a lot of incidents of violence in his own life too and there's something there there's something there that he thought about a lot about why he couldn't walk among his audience the way the way people like bruce springsteen can mm -hmm. he gave it, it a lot of consideration and it caused yeah. him a lot of fear right i've i've heard the same stories uh it happened in europe as well that he came back up on stage and had lost the majority of his clothing I mean, I, I can yeah. understand that scaring the living heck out of a human being. I really can. Yeah. Now you and actually, there's a there's a kind of an apocryphal bit in in the in the uh, booklet that comes with the giant playback anthology mm -hmm. album series, the box set. Um, ben Montage says it's not super clear if he's joking or not, but he says that every time they played Straight into Darkness, a fight would break out. 
Hmm. And I searched around for examples of that, like late 80s. I would look through all the set lists and then go back and look at write-ups of the shows and see if I could find any. I never got a lot of corroboration on it, but according to Benmont, that song in particular was really provocative of people for some reason. And, and it could be that all of this that you have as sections sort of Lego puzzled itself together into, into an idea. I thought it was really interesting. Because I never thought it was one of those things. If you know, if I'm going to a Metallica concert, I'm going to keep my eyes on the ground. But a yeah. Tom Petty concert, I just you know, let's go see Tom Petty. Let's take the kids. It never came yeah, across, absolutely. but it, it seemed different to you. just mentioned looking at playlists and all that you made a big and i mean a big point of this that when you were talking about tom petty's final tour you know and i seem this this seemed to me like it went beyond just you know fandom you cared deeply what songs were swapped each night what song was dropped what song was picked back up what replaced what I'll be honest with you, yeah. I, I don't care. Why does that matter to you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you got to have a little bit of an appreciation of baseball, right? It's a highly statistical way of understanding a tour. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people are either going to love that section or they're going to hate it, and that's just the way it is. Um, a lot of people, they just go and they don't care and they don't think about the order of the songs, but Petty thought a hell of a lot about the order of the songs. You can't choose... You know, for a band this size to keep a nearly entirely consistent set list across six months on a world tour, you don't choose the set lightly. And if you're going to make a change to it, there better be a darn good reason for it. So, I mean, they obviously considered it. He thought a lot about, you know, he often lamented kind of music download culture in general. Um, when he made an album, he wanted that album to be listened to start to finish, at least sometimes, to see the kind of arc and nature of the scope of it and how it loops around back on itself. And, I, I mean, he never explicitly said so, but I think he probably would have felt the same way about concerts. Maybe not to the extent of wanting his choices analyzed and nitpicked over the course of 30 pages in my book, but, you know... If I'm searching for my one song, I want an explanation for why my one song isn't gonna isn't gonna top that list. So oh. I went in search of it. I got that as well. Let me let me throw a question in before I get to that statement. Before uh, before we talk about the fact that Straight into Darkness was not played. So and, yeah. and again, looking, but you said the book was ninety percent written. Obviously, you go to see him at Red Rocks. Uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about Red Rocks. I've I've never been, but it seems to be almost a shrine, almost a hall. And when you see things on Access Network or you see bands, there's a lot of them at Red Rocks. Yeah. Why? I mean, you're from the Chicago area. He's gonna come yeah. to Chicago. 
Why, <laughs> why travel? Because, man, if you're a member of the Church of Rock and Roll, you've got to make a pilgrimage to Red Rocks, and that's what it is. It's that pure and simple. Yeah. Okay. It, 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 honest to God, is. I mean, it was. I would say that it has the status of, like, in part CBGB. Although CBGB is important because of the bands that played there and the scene that was built around it. Red Rocks is not necessarily that, but the quality of the amphitheater and the acoustics there is is unlike anything. I mean, like I said, I go to a lot of shows. I've been to all kinds of outdoor amphitheaters. Um, most of the time I keep my earplugs in cause I'm getting to be an old lady and I don't like all that reverb and I don't like all that tinnitus that I come home with, you know what I mean? But when I got that, the sound of it is so clean and no matter where you sit, it sounds the same and so beautiful the way it rings out. And there's a lot of amphitheaters with beautiful views. You know, Hollywood Bowl's got a nice view. There are other places that have nice views, but there's no kind of view like the Red Rocks view. It's unlike anything. You're, you're killing me, Megan. And I can tell you this, um, on the uh, on summers, my wife and I split and we head out west and we just stop at different places and we're making our way to Utah. We're going through Colorado. Part of me wants yeah. to make a point of stopping and I don't care. And it's because of your book. I don't care who's playing. <laughs> Buy Good. a ticket and go Good. see Red That's Rocks. Right. I, I think you it's don't great. even have to buy a ticket. They have yoga at sunrise. You can go for free. No, 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 no. A, I don't do yoga. <laughs> but number hear a two. band. Definitely go and hear a band. I, I got it. And again, I don't care who's playing. Light it up and let's go. Okay, yeah. now I want to... And I think the reason they book so many jam bands there, too, so many bands like, um, you know, Mo or Humphreys Umfri- McGee or bands like that is because there is a real mystical quality about it that's conducive to that. I mean, it's a hippie place, but once you're there, you feel it in a different kind of way. Hmm. You got to go. Oh, I, I will. And not even a question. Time for our second break here on Rock School, but we will be back in just a moment to talk with Megan Volpert about her book, Straight Into Darkness, one Tom Petty redemption song here on Rock School. Hey, Rock School listener, you hear this little thing going on right now, this, this music bed that goes on for a minute, we do it twice during the show. This is where a sponsor should be. This is where an underwriter should be. If you or some business you know might want to be that sponsor or underwriter of the Rock School Radio Show, please have that person give us a call, 985-549-2330. Once again, 985-549-2330. You can sponsor the radio show, you can sponsor the podcast, you can sponsor both as other ways of doing it. So call that number, 985-549-2330, and talk with Rachel. Or you can talk to Todd if you really want to talk to Todd for some reason, but Rachel's really who you want to speak to. 549-2330. Thanks. I loved the quote that, and, and I take nothing more from it than the quote. It's one of those where it may mean nothing to no one except me. You said Tom Petty is as old as rock and roll itself. And I kind of stood up and, you know, raised my eyes and went, God, she's right. And he's passed. Yeah. Do you make any yeah. distinction with that? Um, oh, man. Since rock and roll was born, people have been speculating on the death of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> when you bring something to life, 
you necessarily consider its mortality. Uh, you know, people say it was the day that Buddy Holly died. There's all there's all kind of ways to interpret the death of rock and roll or the end of rock and roll. People thought people thought Kurt Cobain and Nirvana that the advent of grunge meant the death of rock and roll. Uh, people thought the advent of disco meant the end of rock and roll. People have, since since rock was born, people have been declaring it deceased. And I don't know. I mean, I think it probably never dies. I think it can't. I think there's an immortal, immortal soul that sticks with us there as long as we keep the faith in it. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, you know, I'm not a super religious person, but I think I'm a pretty spiritual person. And I'm not kidding around when I say that rock and roll is the church. I think that's real. Look, you started the book with a quote, and I quoted you. And I'm going to, you came to the end of the book with a quote, and I'm going to quote it again. It says here, <laughs> No song more fully attests to the existential dilemma or completely underscores Tom Petty's legacy in negotiating it than straight into darkness. Nicely worded, past English professor. In, oh, the, sa in the same way people look at a poem and then tell us what it means. Go ahead. Tell us what that means. Well, I mean, I just think we're allowed to discuss how we make meaning out of the things that he's left for us to appreciate that the nature of appreciation is fundamentally critical. You know, people go to the shows and they say like, Oh, that song was a little off tonight or he broke a string and it was so great. They had to improvise or in the case of one of my red rock shows, it rained. And because it rained, one of the guitars got wet. And because one of the guitars got wet, we got to hear a song that nobody else on the whole tour got to hear and nobody will ever hear again. That's amazing. Just a little, you know, to not be able to discuss what that means to us. <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking as I say all this of the wonderful people on Tom Petty Nation. Tom Petty fans are legion. And there's a lot of super fans that are even more super fanalicious than me out there. And they do. They're hungering to discuss why they care about certain songs or what, what they mean. And Petty was never much into explaining what he did, but... I think part of the service that we can offer to his legacy to keep it alive and burning strong in the church of rock and roll mm -hmm. to keep that flame kind of eternal is to, to expressly discuss the meaning that we've made for ourselves out of his work. Okay. Now look, you know, Megan, my interpretation is not the only one by a long stretch, but I hope that this kind of book will be that there will be, be more books like this. I think biographies are very important. You know, I thought that the Warren Zanes biography was incredible. Warren did a great job on it. He always has. He's always done a great job covering Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I thought Paul Zolo's collection of interviews with Tom Petty was, um, it's the best resource. It is still to this day the best resource we'll ever get to hear it straight from the horse's mouth, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think we do need some literary analysis. I think we do need some critical appreciation of the meaning of his work. Yeah, and... And I agree with it, but look, I'm going to turn around and run back to the beginning of, of that little soliloquy. You said mm -hmm. you got to hear, because of a rained-out guitar, you got to hear a song that no one else got to hear on that, on that tour. Uh, That's okay. right. Number one, what's the song, and how did you get to hear it? Were they, were they changing instruments? Why did it occur? Tell the story. <laughs> yeah, this is in the middle of the Red Rocks bits. Um, so it poured rain, and they had to evacuate us. But we didn't get far. You know, we just had a seek cover outside of the bleachers where we were sitting. And so they tarped up all the instruments, and everybody rolled off stage for a little while. But one of the guitars got wet. 
And so there was some fuzz on it when they came back to play like 15 minutes later, the rain cleared out and they came back to play. And so Tom had no guitar because there was too much fuzz. And meanwhile, Benmont had to kind of improvise. And so there was this little boogie situation that happened that ended up in a great cover. And it just was awesome. What, what was the song? It was, uh, I want to say it was Chuck Berry's Carol. Okay. Maybe? No, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of an earlier show. I can't even remember anymore. All I know is that it was rare and precious. You know what I mean? The content of the moment is almost secondary to just the existence of the moment in a certain way. I'll buy that. I got a friend, his name's Jake, and I guarantee his face is down in your book right now. And the reason I say that is because there may be a bigger Tom Petty fan on earth than my buddy Jake, but he or she would have to prove it. And I said, look, I'm going to be talking to Megan a little bit later on tomorrow. Do you have any questions about this song? Oh, yeah. Okay. Lay it on me, Jake. Here comes the two. (laughs) He said... Look, I'm a big, I'm going to read it to you. I'm a big Petty sure. fan as well. I agree that he was a master of the idea of loss and loss of hope. Think American Girl, Stop Dragging My Heart Around. Was there any other song that you considered an equal to Straight Into Darkness that had the same kind of effect on you? Huh. Huh. <laughs> I like Hunt. Yeah, I mean, that's a toughie. I love a lot of his music, and there are other songs that have gotten me through some pretty hard times. Um, I would say, how about this? The second Tom Petty song that I learned on the guitar was Free Girl Now. That's mm-hmm. another pretty, that's a pretty rare song as well. Uh-huh. Um, Free Girl Now was real important to me because I had a shitty deadbeat for a father. And so mm. thinking about being a free girl, that got, that got me through some spots, definitely. Um Maybe, let's see. It's a hard criteria to judge because, I mean, I could go through any album and pick out three songs that meant quite a lot to me. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's, that's, the one, that's the one that comes to mind as second. I'll make a point of playing it. I'll make a point of right playing on. it. Here comes another one from Jake. American sure. Treasure Box Set. Again, if Tom Petty put it out, this guy owns it. American Treasure yeah. Box Set has a newly remixed version of the song Straight Into Darkness. He says yeah. it is well changed from what's on the original album. Have you heard it? What do you think about it? Yes. You tell Jake that I got the deluxe set the day that it came out, and I heard most of the album the night before at an advanced listening party. So eat it, Jake. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've heard it. 
Um, in fact, my review of the whole box set is coming out in Pop Matters probably shortly before this interview is set to air on your radio station, mm-hmm. um, which I and in which I do discuss the updates to Straight Into Darkness. I would not say that it is substantially changed. There is there are forty additional seconds in the song, and most of it is at the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of the inflections of the lyrics stay the same in a way that means the meaning of it is the same. I would say, yeah, there are a number of changes, but the changes are not substantive. I wouldn't say that it's substantially different. I've, I was interested in it, but upon here, you know, when I saw the, the track list come out, my biggest fear was, oh my God, what if this song, what if this version changes everything I think I know about this book I've just put out? <laughs> you know, of course. <laughs> um, but when I heard it, I was relieved and amused by the consistency of it in line with the several other versions of Straight Into Darkness that are out there already. Oh, you're breaking his heart that you got to hear it. Yeah. Uh, you're breaking, I guarantee it. I mean, I'm, I'm recording this. I'll set it together later, but I'm going to run over. I'm going to go chop this out and send it to him. You're killing him. I know for <laughs> a fact you're killing him right now. Yeah. Well, I, got, I have a much more sensitive ear to the delivery of the lyrics than I do for the musicology of it. That, Like I said, I'm not a trained musician, but I do know a fair amount about singing, and I am trained as a poet. So mm-hmm. I know much more about the inflection and the performance of the lyrics than I know about the changes in the sound. So maybe he's hearing yeah. things that I'm not skilled enough to hear, but you know, to the average listener, I think they're going to be impressed that there's 40 extra seconds around the bridge, but that's going to be about it. <laughs> I want to talk to you about the, the very ending of it. You finish mm-hmm. off with four things that Tom Petty taught you about life. Now, this is your statement, but can you give us one or two that, that, you know, you could pass it along because he's gone. And the question is, where do we go from here? If you can take, if you can take something from it and, and push it through your existence to better what is around you, then success. So give me at least one, if you want two. what'd you learn from him? Because I don't want to give away the book. What'd you learn? Yeah, look, stay ornery. (laughs) Stay ornery. Revolt and a willingness to rebel and to speak truth to power and to say your opinion, even if it's it's kind of an unpopular one, even if it doesn't make you the most money that you could be making. Revolt is the only way to have a modicum of happiness in this life. Because life is absurd. Rock and roll life is for sure absurd but any life you know we are so full of contradictions as humans no matter how much you try to stay on the straight and narrow no matter no matter what you believe or who you believe in or who you work on it with you're going to come across contradiction and hypocrisy in this life and that is the dilemma of absurdism what do we do when we are faced with the fact that humans are contradictory animals and we just have to look it in the eye even if it can't be resolved, especially mm-hmm. because it can't be resolved. So look it in the eye is the bravest thing you can do. So the lesson of the book, which I think is the lesson of Tom Petty's life and the lesson of this song, is that you should stay ornery, and that's what I've tried to do. I like that, you're, that you stated, look it in the eye. It's darkness, yeah. but stand up, look it in the eye. Yeah. Yeah. Megan Volpert, the uh, name of the book, Straight Into Darkness, One Tom Petty Redemption Song. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for writing it. I'm so glad. Thanks for reading it. And thank you for speaking to us. Of course.